Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the People Who Serve podcast. I am Chris Morrow, your host, and my guest today is the one and only Peter King. But before we go there, I want to thank everybody who tuned into the first podcast with Don Craig. If you haven't heard that episode yet, you can go find it on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. You could also see it on our website at peoplewhosurf.com. And please follow us on Instagram at peoplewhosurfshow. All right. So Peter King is probably best known today for his award-winning web series, Tour Notes, which takes us behind the scenes on the championship tour. King is a former world tour surfer himself, and back in his day, he appeared on the cover of Surfer Magazine several times, as well as in movies and videos. He was Bob Hurley's first team rider at Billabong when he was the U.S. licensee, and he stuck with Bob for 30 years as his creative director. He was one of the first MTV game show hosts, and he's an accomplished musician. He's also produced and directed TV shows and movies for the likes of Clark Little and John John Florence. He's outgoing, outspoken, and hilarious. I think you're going to like this one, so strap in. Here we go. All right. Well, Peter King, mm. welcome to the People Who Surf show. Oh, is that what this is? Yeah. What do you Not think of these mics? Who... You're a sound guy. Are <laughs> these legit? These are great, man. The phone balls are good. It's yeah. just like surfing to be on the phone balls. <laughs> exactly. So is this people who surfed? Because I foil. <laughs> that counts. Are you foiling? Yes, I foil. And how are you? Are you good? I'm as good as everybody else. Now, I'm not one of those ugly, disgusting-looking people that pumps back out and tries to do CrossFit on the ocean. I just ride with the wave. I'm not trying to overmatch God in the sea. I just fly, which I feel like I'm already, you know, one-upping the rest of the world. I just go on waves, and I just foil, and then I'm done, and I paddle back out. And the paddle is part of the workout. I'm not pumping back out. That looks ridiculous. (laughs) Now, I should note that you are— There's different types of foiling I want to point out. Okay. What this is I, like it's like the nuances of rollerblading. Yeah. Basically. You, why don't you educate me? Because I gotta. Well, some people wear straps. Okay. Which is disgusting. <laughs> some people wear. What do you call the guys with straps? People from Maui, <laughs> usually. And then I, uh, some people they also wear, or they don't wear, but they ride SUPS. Yeah. So you're a SUP foiler. Yeah. Stand up. There's the, those guys. Are I'm all not over saying Sano. they're. Yeah. I'm not I've saying seen they're. Santa all the time. I'm not saying they're not nice people. But they're looked upon as uh, not the cool scene, man. Okay. You got to be what's called a prone foiler, right. which is just an awkward paddling guy. But like I said, we're talking nuances of basically rollerblading here. Right. Well, you got to tell me what's cool and what's not in that world. <laughs> rollerblading of the sea. <laughs> it's just fun. And it's not really, I've already talked about it too much. You don't talk about it right. in public. You don't admit that you do it. You just... Do it. It's probably right up there with some other things in life. But. I, I noticed there's a lot, quite a few people though taking it up. Yeah, this puts me in the water because the people who are been foiling right now—it's such a new sport. Everyone's really addicted to it, mm. and everyone's pretty bad <laughs> that I foil with. Oh, really? Yeah. Which makes it more fun. I'm well, like Pamela so. Anderson. I only hang around people who are just a little bit uglier than me, so I only <laughs> foil with people who aren't that good. I'm not. I don't want to feel bad about but, myself. Uh, but you, I saw no, you I'm just kidding. Get, like the Hurley brothers. Okay, well, let me tell you about the Hurley brothers. Jeff and Ryan Hurley are two of probably the best foilers in the world, which, again, is like saying you're a great rollerblader. Like, <laughs> so what? Nobody cares. But they are just beneath Kai Lenny. Right. You know? They're really good. Yeah. They ride three-foot, six-inch surfboards that are 28 liters. I don't That's know what the, if they're called surfboards. They're foil boards. 
and they can pump back out and around like they're skateboarding. They literally just pump around. Yeah. But they hit the lip, they hit the white water, they do full cutbacks. Wow. They're raging, but they're always on their foil. You know, it's a bogey if your board touches the water. That's considered like a bogey. Oh, you're a total kook if that happens. No, but you, when you're doing that cutback, you want to maintain that on the foil, foil stay on yeah. the foil, be above. It, it happens, but you right. don't want to hit your rail because that's not as cool, right? Right. Well, these guys are really good. If you see the footage of them or follow them, you already know. And you've probably seen it. But this sport's been around like a year and a half is all, or two years, mm. where people have been hydrofoiling in the surf. I mean, of course, Laird and those guys were doing it 30 years ago with a metal foil and strapped in on boots. But that was a different... Those were pioneers. It was a different version of it. figure it out. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know why there was that 25-year gap where no one went, hey, we can just paddle on small boards with big foils. Because those foils they were using were like 10 inches across. <laughs> the ones we're using are like 36 inches. Yeah. And they're huge. Yeah. Anyway, so Ryan and Jeff and Punker and Nick Kalionzis from Bliss Mag, okay. um, all, we all went down to foil yesterday. I said, hey, guys, I'm going to shoot the first 15, 20 minutes, then I'm going to come out. I shoot them for 15 or 20 minutes, and then I paddle out, and they're paddling in. Oh, really? Yeah, so I'm not really foiling with the good guys. They abandoned me once I stopped filming them. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Such a great time together. That was so oh, cool. Cameras are off. Me watching you guys. Yeah, so, and then I'm like, by myself at River Jetties, the current going out at low tide is stronger than the waves coming in. Mm-hmm. I catch two waves and come in. So that wasn't a great session. But the good guys, they kind of don't go for very long. They go for like 20, 30 minutes because they're pumping around so much. They're tired. They're, they're exhausted. Yeah. I mean, they get a killer workout and have fun in a short amount of time. I stay out for about two hours and get like 10 or 15 waves. Like, I'm doing a different thing. All right, so while we were on the subject of foil boards, I had to interrupt and show PK and remind him of Shane Horan's old laser zaps. Those are the crazy tear-shaped boards he rode in the early 80s for a short period of time. He rode them with a wing keel, and if you look back now, they look like foils. The fin was designed by Ben Lexon, who became famous worldwide after leading Australia to win the America's Cup race. So Lexan teaming up with Shane Horan in the middle of the design wars with Mark Richards and Simon Anderson, it was a huge deal. Shane ended his career as a four-time runner-up to the world title. He never won, but he refused to ride anything but a single fin during that whole time. Anyway, I had to show it to PK just to go down that rabbit hole. But isn't that funny that, so Shane Horan, yeah. that... What we call the winged keel fin right. is just a foil. It's a foil. Was exactly. he getting lift a back laser, then, though? Uh, I think because he, that's the opposite of surfing, by the way. You do not want lift if you want to engage your well, rail. It's, that tail is that 19 inches wide. Oh, my God. And look at the thickness. We're looking at a laser zap, which surprisingly, out of all the retro boards, you're still not seeing them come back because it was, it was around for a couple of years. But Shane Haran was the hottest item from 1980. Oh, there's nothing. I wanted to surf like him. I wanted to have yeah. his wetsuits, everything. Everything. He was so... By the way, he's one of the most interesting dudes ever if you get a chance to interview yeah. him. Oh, I will for sure. I mean, he got second... Did he get second three times or four times? Three for sure. Might have been four times second place four. in the world. Yeah. He told me that... He goes, yeah, PK, there'd be a lot of times when I was winning the final and the heat was over in about 30 seconds and they said, hey guys, we're extending the heat 10 minutes. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, no one liked him because he was like the kid. And he was kind oh. of brash. Oh, yeah. Well, and that was a very like gnarly time back then. They wanted Rabbit or Sean to win the contest. So they would just extend the heat until Rabbit or Sean got more waves and then give the heat to them. Derek Hind told me a couple stories like that. That they were, yeah, there was some definitely shady business going on. Oh, come on. It was so bad. I mean, nowadays there's shady business and they're not even trying to. They're trying to be totally honest and upright and they yeah. still have problems. You know? Right. 
Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I, I, uh, anyway, that that board is such a forgotten little piece of history. And Shane, if you think about it, like Shane Horanen from nineteen eighty to eighty two, he he was Dane Reynolds. Yeah, but That's winning heat. That's a good call. You know what I mean he was he was that guy. He was that popular. He was moving product. Gotcha blew up because of Shane Horan. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Those airbrushes. All that color. He that, came into the Echo That Beach team thing. was insane. I mean, those guys were really incredible. All right. Thanks for humoring me. Now, back to the foils and the impact they're having on today's tour. Griffin's really into it. Wow. Uh, Zeke, Seth Moniz, John John, his filmer, Eric. There's going to be a lot of foils. You'll be seeing a lot of foil footage and tour notes this year. It's funny. I wonder how the airlines are going to handle the baggage fees on this stuff. Easy. They, they fit right into a board bag, and they kind of go along with what you're already packing. So it's actually... Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty easy to do. It, it's uh, is that called symbiotic when something works together? Yeah, simpatico. I don't know. Yeah, so like it's it's easy. Like they fit right in the board bag. But man, there's nothing like being bored on the world tour. So this creates something to do on lay days. A lot of downtime. A lot of downtime, and it's it's not dangerous after the first week of doing it. The first week you could get disemboweled. Now I should mention. You know, you you are Mr. Tour Notes. The downtime is really your most productive time. Downtime is uptime. Yeah, any any interactions where people are laughing and having a good time is the obviously the content I'd like to relay back to the kids. Because that, that's the that, tour. That's what it's about. That's, I mean, when, that's you're, the, when you're a competitor... That's the part you care about because you're already seeing the contest on the broadcast. There's 27 cameras. Everything that happens at the event is actually fully covered. Mm. So my... My at-event coverage, to me, is not the most exciting thing, although there's some good moments behind the scenes that I might luck into getting. But I'm trying to show that other time to show what it's really like to travel the tour with friends. So trying to be real positive always with all the content and all the footage, and that's what it's been from day one. It has been. Has it evolved at all? I mean, because it seems like it's just been uh, very organic from day one. Well, it's evolved in the sense that people change. Mm -hmm. So the change is in the people. I mean, when I started Tour Notes, the famously Brett Simpson was just a wonderful personality the world probably hadn't met yet and got to meet him through the tour notes series um, now he's off tour unfortunately um, do you enjoy the tour though do you enjoy cruising yeah, I, around? I mean uh, you've been doing it for so long now I did it myself early days you yeah. know I was on tour when Sean Thompson and rabbit were still on tour and I was a Grom but and then you know took some time off and did other things but being back on with tour notes for the last five or six years yeah, I enjoy it. I mean, there's things that drive you batty. You wish you were the boss and could make certain calls. <laughs> you know, but these are little things. And yeah. maybe when you're a person that's getting frustrated, you're not factoring everything that has to happen. Like when they say, hey, we're on today. You don't realize like, hey, that scaffolding and the whole setup, it's 350 grand if we go another day. You know, right. or we got to get it done because there's only flights out on Tuesday. And yeah. I don't know. I feel like they could, you know, if someone was asking me in a perfect world, there could be some better venues. Rip Curl's always going to be at Bells because right. that's their event. Right. Snapper's always going to be on because that's Quicksilver. And as long as a company has a stake in that location, it'll probably happen. But the tour's got to get to the best waves in the world. It's amazing to see how far it actually has come. And Rabbit, I thought, did a great job during his period just sort of getting it there. And now it's sort of, uh, it's drifting. I guess you have to decide what matters. I mean, I look at all the different surfboards that are being ridden these days by kids who rip. And standard high-performance shortboard surfing is 
awesome and it's more acrobatic and more phenomenal than it's ever been but it's one little aspect of the entire sport right surfing is so diverse and there are so many different disciplines within it now we'll put it this way at least red bull has come on board and is sponsoring an air show series again this is the first time we've yeah. had air shows in, a, yeah. in what 10 years i mean there hasn't been air shows in forever yeah they're sponsoring three air show events josh kerr's the commissioner of that oh that's cool. so that's kind of cool i yeah. mean that gives me like i mean as a what i do with media and I tour notes i'm excited because you know what it brings in these guys like chippa Kalani David, it brings in all these names and these people that you would never see at a tour event. In fact, they had a Red Bull Air Show Series, the first one in France this year, and they made a call. Hey, I, Josh called everyone and said, hey, we're on at 3 p.m. And I was kind of hanging out with Kalani David, and I was excited for him, trying to help him back into the surf world. And I said, okay, let's go down there for the call at 3 p.m. in France, because they called off the comp for the day, but they had a window. Mm. Now, they have to play within the parameters of the schedule of the tour, and like once they call off the event, then you can have the air show. So it's not their own exclusive thing, but still it was cool. Anyway, I went down to the call and it was like, who was in it? Chippa Wilson, Albie Layer, Matt Miola, Kalani. There's just all these guys. There's like 20 guys. When I walked into the competitors area where they were for the call, it did not look like a WSL tour event. It looked like one of those sting operations that they do when they tell you you've won Super Bowl tickets to arrest people with warrants. <laughs> Everyone looked like potentially a criminal. Uh, what, it was like they had broken into the Corona beer case that's usually locked down. Right. There was like, what, who is this crowd? But it was at a WSL event waiting for a call. And I was like, man, this is, I looked at Josh. I'm like, dude, this is cool. You got like the riffraff of surfing in here. <laughs> the ragtag element. Yeah, it was really yeah. cool. I was like, all right, this is a refreshing. And then you could see their energy hanging around the air show guys watching the tour event. You could, it was good energy between the athletes on tour and those guys. You could tell that guys on tour, maybe the one crossover is like Mikey Wright or something yeah. that would have looked comfortable in both things. Yeah. Now I will say, the results were funny because I think the top three guys were all on tour. That's amazing. Which, and, and that was like, Italo didn't even qualify because he wasn't trying to break his ankle, but he was doing it. Right. Um, yeah, that's Yago, cool. Dora won. Mm. Um, Griffin did really good. Like, so the guys on tour can do airs just as good as these air guys, but it was really cool to see the two together. So there's one instance where it's kind of merging, like you're talking about. I agree. And I think the other aspect, you know, longboarding and all those alternative craft that you have in the middle None of those are being addressed on the competitive side. The longboarding tour, quote unquote, that the WSL has is is, um, is not at all aligned with the, the most popular marketing force. Like if you look at all the longboarder guys with huge Instagram followings, they're not the guys on the tour. They're on Joel Tudor's duct tape. Okay, quick update here. The WSL, right as we were going into editing, just announced that Devin Howard is going to be the new longboard commissioner overseeing four world tour events now Devin definitely comes from the old school the more aesthetically pleasing traditional style longboarding so i see this as a very positive development and look forward to talking to Devin on hopefully a future show but for now let's get back to this one yeah the duct tape is a really cool format and the mm -hmm. the kind of rules and the, the boards they require you to ride and mm -hmm. no hard edges you have to really trim and do a pure line that's it's, like what I'm talking about with foiling, you know, you got to yeah. have the cool stees, <laughs> yeah. uh, but style matters, right? So yeah. let's say style is not in the criteria for a WSL tour event, but style is in the criteria for a duct tape. So yeah, it'd be cool to have those guys around a little more often. Yeah. Look, you could, 
an air show at one event, a Ryan Birch and hand-shaped asymmetricals at the next event. Ride your own board. Be Ride cool. your own board would be hand, sick, hand you know? Crap. Yeah, it would be cool. Or, you know, draw old board. Like, the what's the contest they have at Creek? Oh, Cosmic Creek. The Cosmic Creek would be insane. Like, uh, it, those are you cool. know, there's places where someone's got... series in Huntington. They do the same thing. It's, yeah, it would be awesome. cool to see, but pros involved, too. You know, pulling yeah. a name out of a hat. I think Machado shaped some fishes for the Bali event last year that Hurley did. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool to see everyone... Writing that, I don't know who sponsored it. Maybe. And well, and Burley had their little single fin thing. They've got that. There's that other four star. Okay, so it, it is whatever. happening, that, but that stuff's happening, but it's not like a whole little circuit. Well, I think you found your new job. There you go. So Peter's living on Oahu now, but I nabbed him on a recent visit back to California when he was on music business. He spent a good portion of his life playing in bands. And that path, he says, was very much predetermined by the environment he grew up in. Everybody was in a band when I was growing up. Literally everyone was in a band or you like supported and helped a local band. Like you were connected to a band. I grew up around so much music. All my friends were in bands. My brothers were in bands. We all played guitar growing up. That was just part of the landscape. Mm -hmm. um, so my brother was in a band called Mary's Danish. They used to open for Jane's Addiction and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He told me, like when I was graduating high school, like, dude, start a band right away. How you much can, older you is your brother? They're like three, four years older than me. Okay. Four and five years. My brother David King. So he put that band together and we put together Dakota Motor Company, which was, that was a long time ago. I think we made a record in 1991. Bob Hurley paid for it. I rode for Billabong, which Bob Hurley was the owner of in America, a licensee back then. Mm -hmm. And he paid for the record. It cost five grand to make a record. So he supported my music even way back then, which is funny. I mean, that was 1991. Now it's 2019. It's crazy. And crazy. Monday, which is three days from now, we have band practice for Dakota Motor Company over at Hurley at the Hurley stage. Wow. Hurley has a music studio on campus here in Orange County. Um, that's where Weezer made their album called Hurley, which is weird because it was the guy from Lost, the character named Hurley. <laughs> so it, it was kind of weird. But it was, that is weird. It was recorded at Hurley. Wow. So they're kind of friends. They played when we ran the U.S. Open. They played on a, live on the beach. But I'm just saying, Bob Hurley supported music for so long. He supported my brother's band and, and us, and we're still rehearsing. we got some shows coming up. House of Blues we played in Anaheim. We went to But you guys took a Nashville. long break, and then it was yeah, like, a long so, break. so talk to me about the, the uh, well, so getting Dakota, back together. Yeah, Dakota it. Motor Company was the band, and we were in surf videos early days. like All those Billabong ones, right? Yeah, Into the Sun. Into wait, the Wind. Into, in in the, wind. the Wind. Well, you had your little solo song in there too, right? Yep, yep. Me and Davia. Davia and I. Yeah. Yeah, we had music. I've been playing music forever. So it's cool for me to see, actually, when I'm on the road, people that are playing music. Tim Curran used to play music, and of course, Jack Johnson, and Connor Coffin. Now I jam with him a lot. Stephanie's really cool. She's a really good guitar player. Of course, Kelly Slater and Rob Machado. We had a band called The Surfers. So in between Dakota, we made an album called The Surfers, which everyone thought was kind of a weird obvious name but that's just what everyone kept calling us in hollywood mm. when we were recording the album we didn't have a band name and everyone's like hey are you working with those surfers are you working with the surfers yeah hey we're here with the surfers oh he's with the surfers they're in the studio so it just became the surfers and that was just one album right that was one album on epic records with kelly singing and he has an incredible voice through that we ended up meeting 
the guys from Pearl Jam and stuff, and Kelly and Rob play with those guys on stage all the time. When we were amazing? recording that album, we were recording it at my friend's house in Hawaii. He was holding the microphone and pushing play record on the four track, and his name was Jack Johnson. So I should have looked at Jack and told Kelly and Rob to beat it and said, hey, Jack, can I be in your band? But uh, obviously he didn't need anyone, and he became a lot more famous than us. I think we sold probably 10,000 records, and I think he's sold over 20 million records. So, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, Jack is... Probably couldn't have happened to a better guy. And I don't know if you recently noticed, but the whole world sees all the same media, the surf world anyway. <laughs> but I shot a clip of Jack the other day, a couple weeks ago. Rip it. At Holly Eva in like an eight-foot macker barrel. Yes. I mean, he's I so, he just cruises down. Hey, guys, what's up? He is Mr. Holly Eva. He's won the contest there before the HIO. Yeah. Uh, recently, a couple years ago. So he's well, a good Well, didn't surfer. he win the pipe trials one year? Or I, he made the final. I think he qualified for the main event. Jack? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. About I wrote a profile that. on Jack, the one where he released his debut album, and I think it was. I'll, I'll check the facts, but yeah, yeah he he can get barreled in Hawaii. I mean, he's a good oh. surfer. So, Jack Johnson did indeed make the final of the Pipe Masters Trials in 1992 when he was 17 years old. So there you have it. It's just funny, like you know, nothing's changed for us. I know we're older, but everyone refuses to grow up, so everyone's just still doing the same stuff. So yes, I'm still making music, and actually, my Insta feed, you know, whatever you want to call that, my mm-hmm. Instagrams. If you ever see any video on my Instagram and it has music, I wrote the music. You know, I play and record. Yeah, it's no big deal. It's not that it's good. I just don't want it to get canceled for the rights, you know? Yeah. So I like to record and make music. So I write all these songs and I record on my iPad into a program called GarageBand. So you're going to send me a giant <laughs> file of music that I could use for backdrop for this. Oh, yeah. Stuff, you right? can use all kinds if you okay, want. I mean, nobody. Sweet. Do people have music on podcasts? Uh, well, I will. I'm yeah. going to segue right into this segment wow. right here and get you all like, Woo. watch the levels because this stuff is hot, man. Now, while PK's music and his surfing were often featured in a lot of those early Billabong videos, one of his sidekicks on several of those trips was Chris Brown. News of Chris Brown's passing was still pretty fresh when we got together, so of course Peter and I talked a bit about the tragedy and our old friend. Pretty yeah. shocking and sad that I mean, well, it's he devastating. Was I mean, first a... of all, when did we get to the age where people die? That's yeah. just ridiculous. Everyone seemed, you know, yeah, un- untouchable. But now we're realizing that things happen. I don't know what happened. He is the nicest guy I ever met probably literally just genuine Prince of Santa Barbara man the next guy in line after like Tom Kern Matt Madrigal it was then Chris Brown he became such a surf star he was so good uh, you could see it right away his style was so perfect if a kid like that came up today mm. it'd be really rare to see something that talented with the boards we had today I mean he should have kept going on tour um if you value that sort of thing, I don't think it really appealed to him after a while. I remember him not really digging travel as much. He was a little bit more yeah. of a homebody. There was a good surfer from San Diego in the early days when I was on tour named Justin Poston. He just didn't like to travel. Such a good surfer, Poston. Was. <clears throat> yeah. But it's tough. If you don't have the right crew, traveling back then was different too. Nowadays, things are pretty easy. Compared like, to then. Yeah. you know, click. I'm lost. Help me get to the store. <laughs> You need to go left at the next street. Dude, we were using Thomas guides in French, yes. looking at numbers of freeways. Like, where do I go? Those, look, 
Look up, this, look up, look up, look for a sign with an airplane on it, you know, Avion. What? Uh, like, it was yeah. hard to get around. People slept on the beach in France. You we slept get on the beach in France. It was, it was brutal. So, uh, yeah, he, he did it. He did it, though. He was a star. Yeah. Kelly was a star coming up at the same time. Channel Islands. <laughs> I don't even know what. I, there's nothing I can say. He's, just read what everyone wrote. He's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. He was so sweet. His dad was so cool. They were from the best town, Santa Barbara. I mean, we'd stay together on so many trips. He was an integral, integral part of pro surfing. And I hadn't, I haven't seen him personally in like 15 years. I saw him at Sandspit mm. about, I guess you're supposed to call it the Harbor mm. about 15 years ago. And he was like Mr. Sandspit. Yeah. I remember taking off behind the wall there and thinking I was pretty cool. He'd be about 20 feet further back before the backwash. And then he'd ride through that backwash. And like, if you fell, you were going to slam right on the rocks. But yeah, he was so light, but he could do it. And then out of nowhere, kind of him and Snips blew my mind. They turned into big wave surfers. Yeah. Like, how did that happen? Well, it's funny because I grew up with Snips, so I always saw that side of him. Chris, and I thought Evan Slater did such a great tribute to him on his Instagram post. Where he talked about him moving closer and closer to the peak. Well, Chris is in the foreground of that Jay Moriarty show. That's right. Okay. Pardon the interruption, but just in case some of you weren't around in 1994, we're talking about the famous Jay Moriarty wipeout, which was featured on the cover of Surfer Magazine. Jay was just 16 years old at the time, and the wave was one of the most frightening things ever captured on film. That swell, and that month of surf up there, put Mavericks on the map. Now Chris could be seen in the foreground of the cover, sitting on his board, watching in horror. Jay, by the way died tragically in a freediving accident a few years later in the Maldives. His story became the Hollywood movie Mavericks, starring Gerard Butler. All right, back to the interview. You know, and that he literally did not catch a wave that day. He went in because he was so freaked out by it, and, and it was he was trying to do it, but then, you know, he came back and he worked his way in, and you saw the results toward the end, and then he was, you know, going up to the Central Coast, he San surfed Luis so many certain, misto you know, all sessions, those little misty, big slabs yeah, and slabs crazy stuff. So really came out of it. And it's just, for me, it was, it's, it's like you said, it's like, what are all these people? I was talking to Parsons just the other day and we were talking about, we're, we're talking about his life. Okay. And then this happened with Brock Little and Mark Fu and Larry Moore took me here and Sean Collins did this. And we're like, every person you just named is gone. Wow. You know what I mean? That's just trippy. You know, to, to think that we're, uh, we're there, but I guess you and I are old guys, so there's no guarantees. I mean, and you know, pro surfing is the ultimate myth, mm. right? You are dangled this carrot as a young, gifted surfer, and even those on the fringe that this is some magical wonderland. And it was probably invented to sell product, it's all a scam, well, of course right? It was. Right, that's so, exactly what it was. But this, you know, we buy into it because oh my gosh, I'm sponsored, I'm getting something for free. Newsflash, you were already getting it for free from your parents, but you never put their <laughs> name on your board, did you? Nope, it has to be um, a company because then you're legit to your friends and like, yeah, you're sponsored. Oh, you're such a good surfer. You're such a good surfer. You're surrounded by yes, man. I'm like, oh, you're pro. You go to this event and so let's say you do good. Let's say you are good. So what? You're off tour in three or four years. Yeah. If your name isn't Kelly Slater, you are gonzo. Yeah. Kelly Slater's gone through like five generations of surfers. He's now competing against their kids. Isn't that crazy? And beating them and the guy's like 70 years old. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, PK's surfing roots go back to La Jolla, California, and specifically Wind and Sea, where he cut his teeth. Now, it's worth noting that the late 70s was a much different time for young surfers. 
By 1977, there hadn't been an international surf competition in California for over five years. California surfers had retreated from the international stage after the Great World Contest debacle in 1972, which was held right down the street in Ocean Beach. Now, California's board-building infrastructure was still intact, but the Hawaiians and Australians had taken the lead and by then were battling over the balance of power. Meanwhile, back in California, fierce localism, heavy drugs, and a pretty militant anti-establishment attitude had really changed the surf culture. At that time, parents actually feared their kids becoming surfers, and they had reason to. But the ocean was still the best playground in the world, and there was no stopping a lot of us. Yeah, it was it was a harsh environment to grow up, but really fun. I mean, you didn't even really surf other towns unless you snuck in or had a real good connection. Oh, I had people swim out when I was surfing wearing a leash and cut my leash. Really? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, it was called a kook cord. You weren't allowed to wear a kook cord. Nowadays, I'm seeing kids put their leash on in the parking lot at Huntington (laughs) or in the parking lot at Creek, and they walk down with their leash on. Pro surfers. What are you doing? (laughs) It's so classic. Supposed to be embarrassed of that leash, but uh so growing up there, sorry, Richard Kenvin took me around a lot as a kid, and that was kind of the guy that developed me as a surfer. You know, he was competing against like Bud Lamas and David Barr back then. That was kind of the California scene. Right. But our world was small, man. You you we went to Malibu one time. I remember that was like that was like a two day trip, it seemed like, to get there. For sure. I I mean Yeah. I mean, Santa Barbara, going to Rincon for us in Laguna was like going to the Mentawise. It felt yeah, like it was, it, like it was such, such a mysterious place. Such a big mission. Yeah. Like, oh, we might not get there, man. <laughs> We're going to try it. You guys got gas money? Do you remember pitching in for gas yes. money? Do you think any totally. kid in the last 10 years has looked at his friends and said, hey, you guys got any gas money? I don't even think kids know how to put gas in a car. They go it's full so, serve. It's so fun. So, yeah, I remember we'd pitch in money to go on trips and... Uh, when I got into contest, I remember my friend Oscar Bayeto would drive me in a 1953 MG, and I had to hold the surfboards down in the back, and we would go to Oceanside when the tide was coming up to ride these reforms. Wow. And that was like how I learned to surf reforms, because we had nothing like that in La Jolla yeah. to surf contests, and it was so fun riding like reform little sections. I always remember the kids at the contest were so good at that, like Jamie Brissett. Yeah. And, Chris Frohoff, Ted Robinson, I was like, those guys are so gnarly. Now, did you start, when you started competing, was it WSA or NSSA? Only WSA. We were WSA District 6 with like David Eggers, Mark Thurston, uh, Paul Hathaway. We would surf down in, you know, San Diego. It was always in Ocean Beach. Gotcha. Maybe Mission Beach once in a while. But the, the, sometimes they'd have us at like Good Waves in Point Loma. Mm. Some secret reef spots just south of OB Pier. It was pretty cool. We got to surf. That those. is pretty cool. Yeah, I got third in my first ever surf contest, and I was like, "Whoa, I want to keep doing this." When I got into the NSSA, I mean, I would watch guys like Chris Frohoff. There was literally not a better surfer in the world than Chris Frohoff one year. Yeah, I never seen anybody surf like that. He and smashed her in that whole year. I mean, I can see it in my head. I wish I could just input this picture I have right now and show the world what Chris Frohoff used to surf like. <laughs> Peter's big media break came when he was just 17 years old. He appeared in a segment of Chris Bystrom's groundbreaking movie, Beyond Blazing Boards. That film was the momentum of the current Anaki generation. 
and PK's segment featured him and Chewy Reyna down in Mexico. Peter was introduced in a classic comedy sketch doing a Stevie Wonder routine, and then it showed him surfing on about 10 or so waves, nine of which he did a layback snap on. You know, I did a backside air layback and uh, Beyond Boys. It was. I know, you know, I kept time. doing one to do a really good one, and I put every one in the movie. <laughs> you know, you don't get to edit your own part in a surf movie. I went to his house to watch him edit. He was pushing film through a splicer with his hands, cutting it, and then putting tape on it. That's amazing. I watched him edit that with his hands, wow. rolling reel to reels. I mean, who would have ever thought I can shoot all day like I do with a GoPro, my iPhone, a Lumix GH5, a 1DX Mark II, and a drone, input those into my computer, and have an edit back in about 30 minutes. That's amazing. In a nonlinear timeline on a computer, and, ha- and I can do it on my phone. It's pretty through crazy. Through that LumaFusion app, and have content delivered to the world that fast. People should know, you don't seem to sleep. I text you at all <laughs> hours, and you're... Like, it doesn't matter if it's 3 in the morning or whatever. Like, you're usually getting right back to me. Well, 3 in the morning where? I mean, I don't know. What time are we on? It's just like... No, I work late. I shoot all day and I edit all night. When until do you I fall sleep? Asleep. I sleep when, uh, when the edit's done. Okay. Look, the one thing I'm known for besides... Uh, well, whatever. I guess one of the things I'm known for is I'm the quickest at turning around edits. Yeah. So I, I have to go until it's done. If it's needed. Mm, yeah. I like delivering stuff in the moment and beating everybody to the punch. Yeah, people you like, have tried. But, you like breaking you know, news on... I like it, and I wish... Uh, you know, I look for companies that think that's valuable. Right. Like Cam Richards this winter got that barrel, which should be Wave of the Winter unless they give it to... Oh, yeah, that Cam Richards barrel. That Cam Richards barrel. So it's ridiculous. I know I'm not the only one filming it. There's right. literally 12 cameras around, right? Yeah. I filmed it. Yeah. Well, I was filming, and I filmed that Wave, of course. And my edit comes out, I'm the edit where he's talking to you right when he came out of the water. Mm-hmm. So right when he comes out of the water, I'm there at the water's edge getting the story of it, him gushing in the moment, talking about his dad making the board. It's a tearjerker moment. Everyone that saw it, and the whole world wasn't there, knew that, oh, that was the wave of the winter. And he knew it too. And for him, it was a life-changing wave. You know? But when he comes out of the water, it's not a contest. It's not a WSL event. There's, Rosie Hodge isn't there to greet you. Oh, like Cam, let's talk about that wave, eh? Like you're riding an eight-foot board. Looks really good under your feet, eh? No one's there. Yeah. So I'm like, I look around. I go, well, I'm here. Right. So I go down. And uh, my media, you don't hear me. No one knows that it was me. No one knows what I sound like, look like, whatever. It's all I know, about you, Cam. We should note that you're, you, you never appear on tour notes. No. Have yeah. you ever? No. I'm trying to think. Well, the trip at J-Bay, that was pretty funny. Were you involved in that one? I filmed it. I wasn't in it. I filmed yeah. it. Oh, you fil- I filmed Sherman flopping. I, there's like, a lot of things that you saw over? that, no, there was just a crowd of people. Okay, for some reason, when you win your heat <laughs> yeah. or a final, your friends don't need to run with you to the podium. <laughs> just walk. Just right. grab the wet, fat surfer yeah. and walk. Like You should see that battle, and I filmed it a little bit before, but... There's a battle to see who's going to carry the winner. Oh, my gosh. And people, and they're like, well, I guess I'll just carry the board. That guy <laughs> is bummed. Whoever's <laughs> carrying the board up behind the guy is so bummed. First of all, the fins are in his face. He can't see, and he didn't get to carry the person. He doesn't get to get to grab a thigh and feel that person's wet butt on their shoulder, girl or guy. So that's a loser in that situation. That is the lesser of three friends. Oh Every time. God. So it's like a friend contest. It's a oh, it's a battle on the beach. That's like, hilarious. No, we're carrying her. We're carrying her. And it's like, oh, who's carrying the board? I'm like, I guess I will. 
It's always like that's the loser friend that carries the board. So go back and look at anyone carrying a board and know that that person is not as important as the person with a thigh. Oh my god! And then sometimes they <laughs> these guys me. they grab the guy's thighs and the, I mean you don't need to spread this dude wide open. You can close his legs. You don't need to air him out. You know, they're always like, "Just I'm going left. You go right. Let's get this guy through the crowd." Boom, boom, boom. Like, come on, man. But I'll like, I'll like. Sometimes I'll hand that person a GoPro if I know him. Right. And so here, get this footage, and then I'll use that later, of course. Right. And then I'll I'll always film. I do end up um, a lot embarrassingly in WSL footage of the live webcast but I never see it but people always send me frame oh, grabs yeah, I saw you, yeah. one time I was in uh, West Oz at Margaret River and I was behind an interview they were interviewing Tom Carroll who comes up to like my nipple <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 10 feet behind him and I've got my camera in my hand because it never leaves my hand my iPhone in another hand and I'm putting my arms together trying to eat a muffin <laughs> This god-awful day-old muffin they were offering me. And I'm, like, reaching down. And it looks like I'm bobbing for apples. And all of a sudden, like, people are whistling. Going, and I'm like, what is someone whistling? Gobble, 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 gobble. Trying to get you out of the and I, I look up, and I see a monitor. And you just see me in the ugliest, worst pose, double, triple chins, trying to eat a muffin between my arms. And I'm like, I just, I just slowly, like, move out of the shot. Like, oh, my oh God. My God. And there's no avoiding it. Like you are gonna get on camera in some embarrassing situations. But your wife? Did your wife ever nah, call you on that? She never watched a webcast. She's <laughs> not up at one in the morning. That's so glad. Yeah. So the webcasts are pretty interesting. I never see them. Yeah. I see the guys all the time. I see Joe in real life. I have heard a webcast like I've probably heard an hour's worth of webcast in the last six years. Because I'm at every event live as it's happening. I see Joe and Strider and Kaipo. And mm. I watch Kaipo invent new words for the English language every time. <laughs> but, like, I don't see, I don't hear it. Right. But I know that, like, it goes like this where Joe They're, goes, hey, everyone, we're here at Snapper Rocks. It's a beautiful so day. So everyone, everyone tech, when, they, when you make cameos yeah. in the background, do you get texts from your buddies? Yeah, or enemies. There was one time, too, in... Or enemies. <laughs> yeah, there was one time in... Tahiti, where I asked Matahi Drole when he was about 14. I met him down there when I first did this tour notes. It was like four or five years ago. Okay. His dad, um, Bjorn, has a boat service. His sister, Cindy, runs boats. And Manoa, of course, is like a big wave famous surfer. But he's just a little Grom with a 15 watt or 15, what is it called for a motor? Oh. It's called Watts? Anyway, he had a little 15, which is a tiny, tiny little okay. motor. Right. And, uh, he had a little tin boat, and we were in the channel at Chopu. And I said, hey, bro, can you get me on that reef in the lagoon? And he's like, yeah, I'll get you in there. So we go around, putt, putt, putt. We finally get in there. It turns out that where he puts me on the reef is directly in line between the tower and the waves. So as we're going in, I'm in the boat, and he throws his anchor to the reef when we're about five feet away because it's about four feet deep in the lagoon. Mm -hmm. So he goes, just stay here in the boat. You know, he only speaks French back then. Right. English. Now he speaks English. But So he throws his anchor to the reef and pulls the boat in, right? That's the technique. I mean, yeah. this kid grew up around boats. So he, I go, can I help you? He goes, no, just stay in the boat. And then he jumps out on the reef, and he's pulling the boat towards the thing because that's what you do. Well, I guess I'm on the webcast blatantly. There's a 10-minute lull, and Aki's announcing, going, mate, is it PK in the boat? He's got a little kid pulling him. Looks like a little child pulling a rhinoceros. 
you'd think he could help the kid. And I guess he just like made fun of me for like 10 minutes. And like my phone, when I got back to my phone, like 10 hours later, it just blew up. Then I was standing on the reef shooting the contest for like three hours uh-huh. in the hot sun. And I was literally directly in the broadcast. Like they just talked about me for like the next three hours. Oh like, my God. That's all like, time. Oh, I wonder what PK's given that poor kid. He's probably sent the kid for lunch. They're just lighting me up. Cause there was like a lot of lulls. So that, that was like Billabong run, running the, that the, was when Billabong yeah. ran that event, and oh my JD God. Jeff Donor was the producer, and I think oh he enjoyed God. having those guys heckle me. And that is we miss Aki. I mean, Aki should be an announcer for crying out loud. I mean, loud. come on, you got to have Barton Lynch, you got to have Aki, you got to have Martin Potter, you got to have Tom Carroll, you got to have Rabbit, you got to have Sean Thompson, you got to have pro surfers that were world champions. You got to have CJ. Well, there's no time to have CJ. You got to finish in eight days, but you got to have people who. We're yeah. world champions rotate in the those booth. Guys you got to rotate more yeah. people, more voices all the time. Um, but yeah, so my point is, yes, you end up on the broadcast and it's embarrassing. <laughs> One thing that led Peter to move back to the North Shore of Oahu is his relationship with Clark Little. Just in case you've been living under a rock, Clark is one of the most successful photographers around. But he didn't start shooting until he was 38. So it's funny because after Clark Little was done surfing YMA Shorebreak and being a surfer, he started working at the Wahiwa Botanical Garden for 16 years. It's crazy. And when I he was, love that story. When he was 38, his wife brought home a camera or a picture rather of a tube that Hank photo took. Right. Which is funny, right? Yeah. And it was just from the beach. And he goes, why are you, why did you buy that photo? And she goes, oh, it's pretty. It looks like the ocean. He's like, I could get that photo, which, you know, I don't, I don't look at photos or any art and say i could paint that yeah <laughs> but there was some weird competitiveness in his heart and he just went and grabbed a camera no one else was doing short break photography everyone was shooting surfers at pipe and competing with 20 photographers trying to get the shot and he just went down to the short break and started shooting but so clark after he got kind of famous hurley sponsored him uh because his art took off in the short break photography and i was getting into using gopros and i went down and took video of him shooting the shore break and those became kind of popular and we were promoting the product. Anyway, I ended up making Clark's movie called shore break and I made a TV series called shore break with 10 episodes and that was aired in Brazil season or? one. It was aired all over the world, Brazil, Hawaii, a couple foreign markets picked it up. It was the number one show in Hawaii more than Magnum PI or Hawaii Isn't that crazy? or anything That's or amazing. 60 minutes. Yeah. It was the number one rated show in Hawaii and it's on a, you know, it's on a cheesy channel kind of like right a little local channel yeah but um it just resonated because it's a local guy shooting local waves love it and and clark little turned shore break photography into a new sport hobby i mean he probably sold more gopros than anybody in the whole world and he's not even sponsored by him but i mean he didn't his photography no his (laughs) photography movement was pretty radical and it it coincided with the rise of social media right with with facebook and instagram he got Early on, you know, back when these things still mattered, he got an endorsement from Kelly Slater and Jack Johnson. Yeah. And this was at the early days of social media when not everyone had an account and was doing boob selfies in the sunset. <laughs> so people were looking at it going, whoa, what's this stuff? So he was the first one to show those waves. Other people had shot from the inside of waves. I remember growing up with like... Woody Woodworth. Woody Woodworth yeah. classic photos. David mm-hmm. Pooh copied that and was doing yeah. those photos. Don King, Aaron Chang, Jim Rusey. I had a cover long before Clark Little had published an image. I had a cover on Water Magazine from Ocean Beach Jetty. OB that you Jetty. shot? I shot, yeah. No way. Yeah, so That's cool. people had shot inside of a barrel looking out. Or, right. But his shore break at Keiki was really dynamic and big and crazy. And, and there's a couple ways that he and I, I'll say we do it where you run down and get the shot, 
let it cover you, get washed at the beach. It's really fun. Yeah. So anyway, Clark's images are incredible all over the world. He put out a book before anyone else, put out a second book before anyone else got a book out. So he kind of established himself early as the guy where now everyone takes a photo. People say, oh, that's a Clark Little. Right. You know, but it is. he obviously wasn't the first, but and he may not even be the best, but he's really, Refined really Refined it. Well, he just... But now that I've been hanging out with him... Discovered we, the niche. Yeah, we're doing all kinds of things. We're like, you know, I don't know if I pushed him that way, but he's... He's doing drone photography a lot, getting into it. I have to say this real quick. His father was a photography teacher. Oh, he was? Yeah, when he was growing up. I did not know that. Yeah, and he went to school for free because his dad was a teacher at Punahou. So he got to go there for free until about 11th or 10th grade, you know, until he got kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My mom, when I was growing up, was a photography teacher at UCSD. Oh, wow. She taught photography. And so I grew up with a dark room in my house, but we both grew up with parents doing photography. When the digital thing came out and we could do that instant delivery and get that instant feedback, we both were drawn to it really strongly. But I shoot Clark more than I shoot barrels. I shoot him shooting. So Mm. it's it's a full inception thing. What were you going to say? I just want to actually know how you guys clean your ears. Because you guys get thrashed. Hammered. I mean, sand in your eyes, your eyelids, up your okole, <laughs> which is Hawaiian for butthole. Um, yeah, everywhere. You get sand. And it won't, you know Hawaiian sand? Like, that sand is pulverized reef, you know, coral. Right. They're big grains. They're big grains. But I kind of like that sand because you, you walk up to the car and you, you slam your foot down twice. And, and it comes m- off. Yeah. 80% of it comes off. You know, it comes off real easy. It's not like fine sand at La Jolla Shores. It's like dust. Or, or that ocean side. Just right. Like it's not like black. Grip tape. Dirt. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say you'll shower, you'll scrub everything. And then like you wake up and there's like two big old round pieces on stuck to your butt. Yeah. Like, why do I got shells on my butt? <laughs> Look, we could go for hours. And I don't even will... know if we touched on every subject. What did we say? We said La Jolla. We said two. I don't know. We just talked. We said Chris Brett. Yeah, I think we've touched on almost everything, man. And we'll, we talked we, about what we did was we did a little retrospective mm-hmm. to get people up to oh, speed of the things. Yeah, yeah, we talked about the things I've done, and we've introduced me on the People Who Surf show so that next time we can talk about current events. That's right. We'll keep it up for but sure. But I appreciate uh, the time, effort, and energy you put in. I mean, yeah, man. People don't know, but you're a big part of my uh, tour note success, validating me at WSL when you worked there and. Yeah, having my back. In I a, was stoked to get you in there of, in a sort of corporate environment, <laughs> pushing Look. me through and, and taking taking the heat from me when I didn't didn't want to have to talk to anyone. Look. If you ever need uh, someone to get hit by paintballs for you, call Chris Morrow. Worth worth worth, <laughs> worth the price of admission getting you in. And I, I I mean, look, I think everybody's a huge fan and keep up the good work. And thanks for your help with uh, supporting this little project off the ground. We'll yeah, get very you cool. Getting going. So, Peter King, thank you very much, bud. I've been through the wasteland, and it's only a mile ago from here, from here, from here. Now it's a memory, but it's only a smile ago from here, from here, from here. Well, I thank you guys for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please get on iTunes or SoundCloud or Spotify and give us a five-star review. That makes it a lot easier for others to discover the show. Share it with your friends on social media and all that. Our handle on Instagram is the People Who Surf Show. And once again, you can visit us at the website as well, peoplewhosurf.com. 
We've got some great episodes ahead. Tell you more about them online. Till then, I hope to see you in the water.